Father, you are the God who raises us up from the dead. So wake us from our slumber now, Lord. Sleep deprived as we are with the time change that we may give you our undivided attention. Send your Holy Spirit into our midst, Lord, to revive us that we may again rejoice in you. It's in Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. I see uh, there's quite a few more of you since uh, I was in the back there when the service started. You're you're excused today. Um, Last week you weren't, though. Um, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you woke up at at some point this morning and realized, um, wow, I got to get moving and get to church. You all get a gold star for being here. When we can talk about the others behind their back today, because that's their fault. I've been present at two uh, different births. Uh, both both were my children, and um, b- the process of birth is um, let's, let's just say it's intense. intense. Anybody seen a birth? Yeah, probably most of us. It's intense. Anybody given birth? See a few moms out there. <laughs> Anybody given birth in the last five years? There's a few of you. Um, it's it's intense, but fresh new life is coming into being. Something really profound is happening. But there's this process. Um, which is, especially for mom, very painful. There's lots of screaming and uh, crying, and there may be expletives sometimes. It depends on the, the, the mom. Um, but then you, there, there's this breakthrough, and the child comes into life from the womb, and there's just a, a sigh of relief, and there's this just this joy and this peace that comes over the room. And I'm sure some of you have experienced that. It's almost like a, it's almost like a kind of um, high that you get once the pain and the trial is over. But it's a very intense, very intense process. Birth is a very intense thing. Jesus, um, he uses the uh, analogy of birth today, and I think he does it for a specific reason, but he, he has something to say about birth to us today. And I believe that the words that Jesus speaks to us today are going to birth something in us and teach us what it means to be uh, what he calls born from above. And so today's sermon title, if you're a note taker or whatever, I think it's there in the bulletin, is uh, Born from Above. So if you'd look with me at John chapter 3 uh, today, this is where we're going to hang out. Was it, it was tempting to kind of try to take on that Romans 4 passage and tr- do some explaining because, as you notice, it was a little, uh, little thick, uh, what was Paul saying. But I think uh, where the Lord would have us kind of rest our hearts today is in his gospel, the gospel of John chapter 3. So, um, since there's a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews, um, we, Nicodemus was, he, he would have been a very well-respected member of a Jewish governing body uh, called the Sanhedrin. He had been very, very well-respected. He was a very religious and devout man, most likely, like kept, kept the law, sought, sought to honor God in his life, had a great probably level of spiritual and religious authority in, 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 the, Jewish, uh, in the ancient Jewish world. And he comes to Jesus and it tells us that he came to Jesus by night. Um, now, why is that? Now, some people say, well, it's because he was ashamed and he didn't want to be seen by the other Pharisees because none of them liked Jesus. I don't think that's actually uh, the case. I think probably the practical reason that he came to Jesus was by night so as not to be interrupted. Um, imagine trying to get to Jesus during the day. Remember, I mean, like, like every scene in the Gospels, he's surrounded by swarms of people. So Nicodemus comes to him by night. 
Jesus is probably like, oh man, I'm tired. Another, no, another person wants to talk. <laughs> but he engages him in a very meaningful conversation. I do think there is a bit of a spiritual meaning because John uses night and day, light and dark a lot in his gospel to show us that at this point, Nicodemus is somewhat, he's spiritually in the dark. While he's a well-respected, prominent religious leader, he's actually spiritually in the dark, at least at this point in his life. So he it has both a practical uh, meaning and a spiritual and symbolic meaning. Um, and as we'll see, what he's in the dark about really is ultimately about who Jesus is and what it really truly means to be born of the family of God. And this is the place where Jesus is going to uh, lead him as he engages him in this conversation. So Nicodemus says uh, to Jesus, his rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. So he he acknowledges Jesus on this level of being a, a, a prominent teacher, a teacher even anointed by God in his role as a as a as a very um, effective teacher. So he recognizes, he even recognizes the power of God at work through Jesus. But you see, he doesn't recognize fully who Jesus is because Jesus is a teacher, it's true. He is from God, but he's more than that. Nicodemus doesn't have the more just yet. Um, Just a couple chapters at the beginning of John's gospel, and some of you probably have memorized this verse, um, John starts his gospel and says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's talking about Christ. So all throughout John's gospel, you see from the first to the last pages, John is particularly interested in one-on-one engagements and encounters that people have with Jesus. So all throughout his uh, gospel, people will encounter the word, the eternal word of who is God made flesh. And some will recognize who he is and behold him and surrender their lives to him. And some will turn and walk away from him some will spit at him and mock him and then there are people like nicodemus who's trying to figure out to sense senses that there's something more to to learn something more to encounter now jesus tells nicodemus he says some very interesting words to him you know jesus says i I see that you're a teacher you're from god Um, and jesus says to him Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. The, the, the Greek words there have a double meaning. It both means born again, born a second time, or born from above. So, uh, some people, um, in certain religious traditions, maybe like our own, would scoff at people who use the terminology born again. Are you born again? It's actually very biblical. It's actually great from the words of the lips of Jesus to be born again because it means, well, we're going to talk about what it means, but it means to be born from above. Jesus never gives a straight answer, does he? (laughs) Nicodemus, well, we, you know, we see your teacher come from God and Jesus never just says, um, yes, I'm that, but I'm more. So do you accept that? Right. He always leads us into a deeper engagement to think more deeply about, about reality. Um, he, he, he always challenges us to, to, to think and to see and to encounter the, the truth in a, in a more deep way that actually challenges us. It actually it provokes a crisis within us 
When we encounter him, it provokes a crisis in anyone who encounters him to either move closer to him or to go on refusing to do that. To kind of just kind of staying at the surface level of things. And he's always inviting us deeper. This is exactly what he's doing with Nicodemus in this passage. He's giving him the opportunity to, to move closer to him. And so this sense that should be an encouragement to you today, whether you feel very close to God or whether you feel like you've been kind of far from God, Jesus' invitation to you today is to move closer. It's to move closer. He's gracious, he's gentle, he's patient, but he does make call, a call puts a call on our life to always be moving closer to him to full surrender. Okay, so moving on. What is this birth that Jesus speaks of? Now, you, you, you see Nicodemus' response, right? He's not picking up what Jesus is laying down. Okay? Nicodemus says, how can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? See, he's kind of staying on the surface level of things uh, right now. He's operating um, out of his rational intellect, and he's not having that kind of soul spirit encounter yet that jesus is calling him into well jesus um you know actually we can be like that too (laughs) in our encounters with with god we it's very easy it can be very easy to miss his invitation to go deeper we want to settle uh like nicodemus with what we can wrap our minds around or what we're comfortable with and one of the greatest dangers, I think, for all of Christians over all of history is to become comfortable with kind of our religious practice and the ideas and the, the thoughts and the, the information that we have about God, even our church life, our community life, even our, even our service life. There's a danger in becoming comfortable with that and missing God's invitation to draw deeper into life with Him, to move deeper into His presence. And I think Nicodemus is missing it right now. So what is this new birth uh, that Jesus talks about? He says, he, he, he emphasizes it again, but in new words this time, he says, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. This is a, this is a profound experience that Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus about. He's saying, actually, no one can really enter into the kingdom and see it unless there is this new birth, this birth from above, unless they are born again, unless they go through a new process of birth altogether. You see, Nicodemus is, we're like Nicodemus sometimes, we're like, Jesus, can you just like give me some principles to live by and I'll be happy with that? Like give me a couple things that, you know, make me a calendar, like every month has a, like an inspirational quote on it and Jesus, that's really all that I want and I'll be happy with that and I'll think about you sometimes and I'll go to church. And Jesus wants so much more of us. Jesus won't, he won't share the throne of our heart with just mere principles because he himself wants to be there. And and so Jesus, he says, no, I won't just give you principles and teachings to live by. I want to give you me. I want to give you my presence. I want to give you an entirely new way of life. I want to bring you into this new birth, a birth of the spirit that will actually transform who you are so that you belong to me and that you live your life in my presence.
before before we move into what exactly is this birth, we need to say something about the kingdom of God, right? Because Jesus says, you'll never see the kingdom of God. Well, what is the kingdom of God? Because if we don't know, we're not going to have any interest in entering it, right? So let me just, I want to kind of do a small rabbit trail and talk about what the kingdom of God is. It'll be a reminder for a lot of you. Um, but the kingdom of God, actually, the idea of the kingdom of God originates in the Garden of Eden. I think I mentioned this last week. And in the garden, before Adam and Eve fell into their, their disobedience and their sin against God, there was an overlap of heaven and earth, and God walked with them in the, in the cool of the garden. They had access to his presence. Okay? Heaven and earth overlapped God's realm and the human, his human family and his spiritual family overlapping. And they had full access to his glorious presence where there's fullness of joy and life. That's the kingdom of God. He was reigning over everything. And people's hearts were rightly, Adam and Eve's hearts for a while were rightly directed towards him, gazing at him, living in the joy and the blessing of his presence. So we could say just a definition of the kingdom of God would be the reign of God over his creation and the hearts of his people. That's what the kingdom is, right? It's not a physical castle. It's, it's the reign of God over his creation and the hearts of his people. And then, of course, sin gets that all messed up, right? They get, we read the passage last week. They get lured in and they fall and they decide they're going to be the, the, who has the final say in what's right and what's wrong in their lives by eating of that fruit. And sin messes it all up. And so what God does is he has to remove humans from his presence. So he sends them into an exile outside of Eden and they no longer have access to the fullness of his presence. It's really, that's the, that's the greatest tragedy of sin is what it does is it separates from the presence of God where there's true joy and blessing. So it gets all messed up. And the story of the Bible is the story of how God is trying to get sinful, rebellious humans who are paying no attention to him, who are completely ignoring him, trying to live their own lives with with pride and rebellion, trying to get our attention and restore us to his presence. What wondrous love. What wondrous love is this? He could have just been done with us. But it's the whole story of the Bible is him coming after us, pursuing us to, to, to do what? To get us to live by particular principles? No, primarily to get us back into his presence because he longs for us. Our father longs for us to be in his presence. Now, the kingdom was at the center of Jesus's teachings. It's actually the number one thing that he spoke about everywhere that he went was the kingdom. And all of his other teachings revolved around this idea of the kingdom of God. And what he was saying was the kingdom of God has come near you. Actually, the reign of God now has once again invaded the earth. The realm of God has invaded the earth. And God was doing that through the person of Jesus. He wasn't doing it through principles. He wasn't doing it through new philosophies. His kingdom, his presence, his realm had invaded our world in and through Jesus. So that's the kingdom of God. It's God's dwelling place where his presence where we meet him in his presence. Now, the Jewish understanding at the time of Jesus was that their thoughts were that the kingdom of God meant that Jesus was going to restore the actual kingdom of Israel and help them triumph over their, uh, their, their conquerors, those who were ruling over them, Rome at the time of Jesus. And so Jesus is speaking about a different kind of kingdom, as most of us realize. Because his, his teaching was that the kingdom was much bigger than any kind of earthly thing you could imagine. It was so much bigger than that. For him, the kingdom of God, God's reign and God's presence, they had, had, had come and begun to permeate enemy-occupied territory. So God could begin to take back his people into his presence. 
through the work and person of Jesus. Okay, that's a rabbit trail worth chasing, but are you still tracking? Okay, let's let's get back to the, the passage. Now, Jesus says, what is this? So we ask the question, what is this birth that he's talking about? He says, one must be born of water and the spirit. Now, good uh, liturgical Episcopalians will say, well, he's talking about baptism. Perhaps, indirectly, I think. But I think there's something actually deeper than him talking about baptism, right? Um, and I'll tell you why I think that. In Ezekiel chapter 36, these are words from a prophet many, many, many years before Jesus ever walked the earth. And Ezekiel, as most of the prophets, are calling God's people, the Israelites, to repent, to change their way of thinking and living and to turn back to him. And yet they they will do that sometimes and then they continue to go astray. They do that, they continue to go astray. And there's this constant problem, as for those of you who were in Daryl's class this morning, we talked about, they they just couldn't get it right. There was something, by, by your human effort, you can't just come to God by your own human effort. You can't stop sinning and live a righteous life by your own human effort. Something else needs to happen. Listen to what Ezekiel prophesied, what God said through Ezekiel to his people. He said this, this is Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25, if you have your Bible with you. I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. A new heart. Everybody say, new heart. Let's try again. New heart. A new heart I will give you, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove your bo- from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and make you follow my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. Then you shall live in the land that I ga- gave to your ancestors and you shall be my people and I will be your God. This is the vision for God's people. That he would have to come himself, sprinkle them with clean water, whatever that means, purify them, right? Purify them of their uncleanness, their sin, and put his own spirit in them to give them a new spirit and a new heart. This is what's in Jesus' mind when he's saying this to Nicodemus. And hopefully it's coming to mind for Nicodemus too. (gasps) Hopefully he's having one of those aha moments. You see... There's, there's such a, a pervasive teachings out there about kind of to become a Christian. You, you go through the teaching courses. You go through the catechism. You get the water sprinkled in baptism. The bishop comes for confirmation. You say the things out loud and the bishop lays hands on you and, you know, you live the Christian life. Or your parents raise you as a Christian and you come to church all your life. Therefore, you're a Christian. But Jesus actually says there's something much deeper and more profound that has to happen in our hearts. For us to actually see the kingdom and be a part of the family of God. That's what he calls the new birth. Being born from above. It's a work that only the spirit of God can do in us. It's not something that we convince God to do for us. It's something that we surrender to so that God can do it in us. And so you see, it's possible. It's possible to actually go through one's life living as a Christian, living by Christian principles, going to church regularly, participating in deeds of service, reading your Bible, and not fully experience this new birth that can only happen 
by the Spirit of God being placed in us. It's possible to miss it altogether. I read a quote uh, recently that's really stuck with me, and the author said, if you come to him for anything other than him, you will miss him. And sometimes the other than him stuff can be religion. It can be church or what some have called churchianity. You've probably heard that term before. But it's possible that we actually miss Jesus himself for all of his stuff, all of the things that we want to try to engage in to make him happier or whatever. And Jesus wants to show us that there's just an entirely new, he says, you don't need to, you don't need to build yourself up and do more things to impress me and learn a new philosophy of life so that you can become mine. You just need a whole new birth. And only God can give it to you. And so the only way to receive that birth is actually to go to God and to surrender to Him. To ask Him to do a work in us. Now, we all are familiar with the end of this passage, or at least verse 16. Jesus, um, or John tells us, For God so loved the world. And you're going to see how this connects with what I'm saying in just a second here. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Now, here's the question. What does it mean to have eternal life? There's a lot of misconceptions about that. The primary one meaning um, it's a promise that if I believe in Jesus for, uh, to, to forgive my sins, that when I die, I kind of go off to a place somewhere up there. I don't know how many miles away, but it's really far up there. And there's a- angels with wings and harps and all, all of that, right? Some people, that's a lot of, uh, that's become a popular interpretation of what it means to have eternal life. But let me read you, Jesus actually gives a definition of eternal life in, in John chapter 17. This is what he says. And this is eternal life. He's praying in front of his disciples so that they hear him. He says, and this is eternal life. That they may know you. The one true God. And Jesus Christ. Whom you have sent. That's eternal life. To know him. To have intimacy with Him. To be restored to His presence. That's eternal life. That's what it means to enter the kingdom. You see, friends, we have a God who wants us to know Him. He wants us to know His His character. He wants us to know His personality. He wants us to know what He's like. He wants us to know His love and compassion. He wants us to know His justice and His anger towards sin and, and towards rebellion. He wants us to know everything about Him and He wants us to, to, to be with Him and to walk in intimacy with Him. Remember, that was what was, that, that's originally was His creation project. He dwelt with His people. And if you go to the end of the Bible, it gives us a a new picture of that. And we we see a vision of the future where heaven comes down to earth and God, it says, his dwelling place is with man. And he dwells among them and they will be his people and he will be their God and he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more suffering, pain, or death. And Jesus says to have a new birth, to be completely 
drenched in, overpowered by, filled with, transformed, changed by the Spirit of God and to have it planted in you is the way into that place. Kingdom of God, presence of God, eternal life. They're all interchangeable in most ways. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite authors, you hear me quote him often, he's, he's, that's probably because I've been reading him a lot lately again, but he says this. This is very, very important for us to hear um, because sometimes we think, oh, how can I seek after um, intimacy with God? How can I get myself to that place? Because by our nature, we don't really want to. Um, but this is helpful. He says it like this. In our desire after God, let us keep always in mind that God also has desire. And his desire is toward the sons and daughters of men, and more particularly toward those who will make the once-for-all decision to exalt him over all. Such as these are precious to God, above all treasures of earth or sea. In them... In them, God finds a theater where he can display his exceeding kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? In those who will make the once and for all decision to exalt him above all, he finds a theater in which he can display his utmost kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You see, there's this need for a new birth by the, by the Holy Spirit of God to come and to dwell in us, to make us His, His temple, His living temples. And so there's a que- this is the question Jesus is li- leaving with Nicodemus ultimately in which He leaves with us today is have you allowed Him in? Have you allowed Him to actually fill the temple? Right? He doesn't want just one compartment or one room of it. He wants all. He wants all of us. We move on in John's gospel and we don't see Nicodemus for a while. So we, we're kind of left wondering what happened to Nicodemus. What was the outcome? Was he like the rich young ruler who went away sad because he just couldn't make the ultimate sacrifice to lay it all down at Jesus' feet and follow him? Or is there hope? Well, let me read you something from the end, almost end, of uh, John's gospel. This is from chapter 19. Jesus has been arrested, uh, beaten, crucified, and has died. And there's this little, little short part in John chapter 19 that says this. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, though a secret one because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate to let him take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and removed his body. Nicodemus, who had at first come to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, weighing about a hundred pounds. They took the body of Jesus and wrapped it with the spices in linen cloths, according to the burial custom of the Jews transformation imagine him from afar watching jesus 
give up his spirit on the cross, taking his last breath. Now I see. He wanted me to look at him. Remember in the passage, Jesus said, uh, just as Moses lifted up the serpent, so the Son of Man will be lifted up so that all will look to him. That story is a reference. That's a reference to a story in the book of Numbers where the people had been afflicted by snakes and they were being bitten and dying and God told Moses, erect this bronze serpent upon a pole and the people who look at it will be healed and they'll be saved. And it was a foreshadowing, an image of a world that was bitten, so to speak, by sin and death and rebellion and those who look and gaze upon the crucified Christ would be transformed, would be changed. They'd be born from above. You see, it always comes back to the cross, to the crucifixion of Jesus. Nicodemus, I just, I'd like to think about what he was going through. He must have had just this, this, uh, some sort of a breakdown. I've been so religious. I've kept all the rules. I, I've served. I've, I've been at synagogue. I've been at temple. I've made all the sacrifices. And I've been missing him. 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 You see, looking at the cross of Jesus, it brings us to a realization of our own helplessness. We can't born ourselves anew. We can't give birth to ourselves. We need Him to do it for us. It gives us a realization of our need for Him to change our hearts, to live for Him, and to bring us to absolute surrender to Him. So here's here's my question for us as a church. What if we... And I believe this is where we're going. What if we became a church that was about this one thing? Beholding Jesus. Gazing at Him. His presence. His beauty. His compassion. His love. His strength. His truth. And we became about gazing at Him. That we came in here to sit in these pews on Sundays. It wasn't just to get some information about how to live. It was to come and to encounter Him. Friends, He's here today. He was here last night in our worship service so powerfully. You could feel the weight of His presence. And it's what He desires above all is that we'd come here to encounter Him. And the life principles and the deeds of service and all of that will naturally flow out of lives that have made that once and for all decision to exalt Him above all. Amen.